So continuing on, we're seeing those of the world, the sinner, they sleep. It means they're unaware to goodness and holiness, okay? They get drunk. They run after immoral deeds and immorality. They hide from the truth. And their conscience disturbs them until they harden themselves against it. Even the inner law disturbs them. So they're without excuse. Even in the Roman world, the governmental leaders and governors and people of authority, they would try not to drink and get drunk during the day. See, if they were running for office as senators and stuff, the enemy had used it against them. So they tried to appear to be upstanding citizens during the daytime. And if they were going to do their drunken carousing, they did it at night in the privacy of their friend's home or someone. They didn't prate it to everybody like it appears they did in Sodom and Gomorrah. So they tried to hide it somewhat. Why? Even in the Roman world, that would have been considered scandalous and bad politics to do so. So they were expected to adhere to certain standards of the people and what the government and the law required. And they tried to do that. Even in their hypocrisy, they showed an outward form and tried to not disturb the people. They wanted their votes. So even the wicked know that it's the night for drinking and partying because then it covers many of their deeds. Many of the women and the men run out on their husbands to commit adultery, and nobody knows who they are. They mingle with the perverse people, and nobody can really see who they are. And that's what they want. They don't want people knowing their business. But they forget that God sees everything under the sun all the time. I often wonder why, from the human standpoint, we have no concept of hell, the lake of fire, and why it endures forever. See, that's a divine quality, a response to holiness. But then I started to think, God sees everything. At Noah's time, it said the people grieved him to his heart and repented him. He had made man. He's using human terminology. And he's saying he didn't believe they would be that wicked. He was trying to, again, express to them. So what people don't understand, all the wicked people, God sees what they do 24 hours a day. He can't look away. His holiness and justice records everything. And a holy God and being has to be subject to that. And he's storing up wrath. He said, I'll punish them for that. And he's going to. Uh-huh. And the reason it's everlasting is, first of all, they were made in God's image, a spirit, and it's eternal. And the other is, the people on hell do not cease to be sinners. They curse God, and they blaspheme, and they torment and their sins are not forgiven. So there's a continual wrath upon their wickedness. That's why it keeps going on. Uh -huh. People need to remember that. So when they do their great deeds and their sin, they got to remember, God sees this. You've made a holy God look at this garbage, and he's going to remember that uh, one day. 
Okay. Verse 8. But since we, he's talking to the Christian, the brethren, we are of the day. Let us be sober. That means the self-controlled and serious. Having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. So much for once saved, always saved, and you're saved eternally. Scripture don't teach that. You are saved eternally as you walk in Christ, for he is made unto us eternal life. And as long as the branch abides in Christ the vine, he has eternal life. But it's not permanent. If he ceases to abide and bear the likeness of Christ, the Father cuts him off, and ultimately he is burned. Uh, people don't like that. Yeah. Read the scripture. So we have the hope of final salvation. Those who overcome, those who endure to the end. As we said to one of the churches, God will fix you as a pillar in his temple. And you don't have to go in and out anymore. There's no chance. You'll be there permanently in God. See, If you'll be a pillar in his temple, then we saw that God and the Lamb are the temple. You will be fixed in God, never capable. There will be no sin. There will be no devil. There will be no flesh. Incapable. You'll be as the angels that never fail, still abiding in holiness, always doing the will of the Lord. Okay? So since we are Christians, we are of the light and truth, we must be self-controlled. We must watch these evil devices and vices that tempt us, okay? Even Hebrews talked about some of those. He said, lay aside the sin that so easily besets you. Why? Because if you keep giving in to it, you're going to fall away. You could be dealt with and fall away. So he's saying you better deal with these things before they get a grip on you. We must come out from among the world and fellowship and practice. We don't practice what they do. So we did. He uses the term past tense. So he said, now put on the breastplate of faith and love. By faith, we are enduring and walking in Christ. What did Paul say? We live by faith and not by sight. We trust and serve him by the principles and commands, even if he's not directly telling us to do something. We live by those principles that he lays down for us. And we live by faith that he will help and guide us if we get off, okay? Faith is also a shield, notice, when we talk about the armor of Christ. It protects the breastplate. It's interesting. The shield of faith protects all the other armor. If it gets through the faith and you're trusting the Lord, your other armor is going to waver. It's not going to be strong enough to endure the fiery darts. Some of the arrows, even in Rome's time, and the Romans and their enemies often wore metal shields, went right through them. They got close enough and they shot them properly, go right through the metal. Uh -huh. But the shield was to bounce them off and keep them from getting through. That's what he's talking about. And that's why Paul in his Ephesians said, above all, the shield of faith, okay? Our faith in Christ, our faith in his redemption, our faith that he will keep us if we stay in him, okay? 
that he will not allow us to be tested or tempted above which we are able. That's part of the promise to those who are in Christ. That's not promised to the world. I've heard people in the world say, well, God never gives us anything more than we can handle. He allows wicked things to destroy wicked people and overcome them because they rely on their own self-righteousness and their false religions, okay? So that's not true, okay? So he said, put on the helmet, the hope of salvation. That is final salvation, okay? We don't have final salvation unless you stay with Christ. He has made unto us redemption and salvation. Eternal life, Jesus said, is to know the Father and Jesus Christ. That's what eternal life. He didn't say to know about them. He didn't say you get salvation as a gift. It's in them. They are made to us. Christ in us and us in Christ. That's why we have eternal life. But in this life, we can fall back into the world. We can give in the temptation. We can start to find our own life, get caught up in materialism and the self-life. And then you can't have eternal life because the Lord calls it idolatry. And you cannot serve God in anything else. Okay? It's not God first and everything second. It's God first and foremost. And everything else just falls where it can. So people think, well, I'll serve God and then I'll give a little bit of tithe and then I can do what I want with the rest of the money. You are still responsible to God as a steward. And it's not given to you excess or blessing or gifts to squander on yourself. They're not yours. But a lot of people think it is. And they're going to be surprised. And the scripture's very plain on it. But see, they don't want to see those scriptures. They go to the old. Now remember, much of the old promised people, righteous people, prosperity in this life. They weren't told much about the afterlife. They weren't given much insight. But in the new, where they and the old were dealing with the present time, in the new, we're dealing with eternity. And we're not promised. We're promised suffering and affliction and conflict, but God will help us in it. We're not ever promised excessive wealth. I mean, Paul himself said, be content with such things as you have. Even Jesus said, having food and raiment, be content. Well, people aren't usually content with that. That's the minimum, isn't it? See? Because they're still caught up in the world. People look at the rich and the people with money that's, and they envy them and think, oh, aren't they wicked? And, uh, people have told me that. I said, but you're just as wicked. Your mouth drops open. I said, you're poor, but you're covetous. You're just sorry you don't have what they have, and you can't get it because you're too stupid. If you would yield to the world, even Jesus said the children of the world are wiser when it comes to money than the children of light. See, it still applies. They know how to invest. They do this and that because their preoccupation is idolatry, the love of riches. Uh -huh. The Christian isn't that exacting. He prospers and he gets stuff. He helps people. He's not afraid to let go of the money and use it for the good of the kingdom. The wicked would consider that stupid. Mm -hmm. Oh, I've heard people, well, let the people help themselves. I acquired what I did by this, that. I acquired. You acquired because you're an idolater and money is your God. 
but it's not going to do you any good at day of judgment. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, the rich man in hell. Remember, the poor guy sat outside his door and had sores all over him, and he desired just to get some food or extra. The guy must have seen him, the rich man, every day. He didn't bother to mess with him. And yet when he was in hell, paradise, or the heaven then was across a, a valley, a right fix, and they could uh, see each other. And Abraham, the first Jew, he called him, hey, Father Abraham, send him over here to give me a drop of water. Isn't it interesting he recognized this guy that he never bothered to help? And it's interesting in hell, that's the focus. That was one of the main reasons he's in hell. He didn't look at the needy. He was self-absorbed in his wealth and money and everything else. He was self-centered. And God's judgment was, you didn't help other people. You didn't help your fellow Jew, which the law commanded you to do. And he's reminded of that. And you know, it's a secret. That's been thousands of years ago. He still wants a drop of cool water to cool his tongue because he's tormented in that flame. But that's the last he saw during that time of Abraham's bosom. Because when Jesus died on the cross and said it's finished, he descended into paradise and led those up into heaven. There is no paradise. It's just hell down there. And eventually hell will be cast into the lake of fire. It appears to be a further punishment waiting for them. Okay? The breastplate is also of righteousness. Uh-huh. So it means your heart is guarded by righteous living, holiness, with which no man will see the Lord. You hear a lot of people talk about their righteousness in Christ and Christ, but they don't live that way. They prove that they're not in Christ because they don't walk righteously. They don't live right. They don't do good works, which the Bible requires. He didn't talk about pharisaical work or Catholic works. He talked about Christ. That's part of the fruit of being in Christ. You live righteously. And John said, you keep yourself righteous, for when he comes, if you're not pure, he said, you will be ashamed. You will be disappointed because you're not going. He doesn't recognize you as his. And Paul clarifies it, makes it very plain. Three times he says it plainly. Don't let no one lie to you. Don't let no one deceive you. And he names all these sins. And he says, if you practice those, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. And he was talking to Christians. He says, you practice that. If that's your habit and lifestyle, you're not going to heaven because you're not a Christian. That blows the theory of many once saved, always saved people. Or people think, well, I'll just lose a few rewards. You'll lose heaven and be under God's wrath eternally because you're already deceived and you'll be deceived further, okay? So by faith, we live what is the truth and we obey if we're following him. And then we have a great hope. The weapons are together as the new man in Christ is. It's the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruits. Why? Because it's tied up in the person of Christ. 
So when we draw the life from Christ the vine, we produce the fruit with him. We produce his life outwardly. No one can produce fruit without Christ. And Christ isn't going to produce any without the branch. There has to be the unity of the two. There has to be divine side and the human side. It's never all grace. And it's never all man. You do not find that. It was all grace, the plan of salvation. But no one can get saved without repenting and believing. God doesn't do that for him. So there's the human part, okay? So don't believe that garbage. There is no irresistible grace and saved once always, and I can live the way I want to, license the sin. You're going to find yourself in the lake of fire, okay? So as the fruit, not the fruit, it's Christ in us. Uh-huh. And by the Holy Spirit living in us, we cannot have a hope of seeing God in heaven if the breastplate of faith and love and righteousness are not present down here. Many people, it's like someone said one time, it's true. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. Well, we're going to die unless we're raptured. But we better die to the deeds of the world, the flesh, and the devil, or you're not going to make it to heaven. See, that's what Paul meant too. Take up the cross daily and follow him. You lay aside your will and what you want and everything else if the Lord gives you another command. Don't matter what it is. There ain't no bargaining with him. People think they can bargain. Uh-uh. He said, unless you hate, he named everything, relationship. He meant compared to your duty and love of God. The love of God is to keep his commandment. He didn't say it was some emotional, affectionate feeling. They have their place, but that's not the foundation. If you don't obey the Lord, he don't care for all that. It don't mean nothing to him. It's a mockery. Even he himself said, the Father always hears me. Why? Because I'm the Son of God? No. He said, because I do, always do, those things that please him. He acted and used his will to please God. He didn't say, I'm saved because I'm the Son of God. So he expects the same of Christians. Obey me. That's how you prove you love me. Everything else don't mean nothing. There's no foundation. It's not built right, okay? So if a person does not live morally upright and pure in this life, and put down the works of the flesh and the gross sins, they will not make it into heaven. Okay? And see, Paul says, don't let no one lie to you. So you've got a lot of ministers that say, oh, God understands. Oh, nobody's perfect. And they'll come up with all the, and it's all grace and faith. Oh, they were teaching that during Paul's time. Even Peter said they twist it. They torture Scripture. And he called Paul's writing Scripture. Isn't that astounding? He says, as they do all scripture. So he said, they'll distort Paul's writings, but he lets you know it's the Paul's writings were scripture. And he said, they're ignorant and deceived, and they're responsible for that. He said, uh-huh. they twist or destroy is the word, alter God's word. It's no longer faith with works and obedience. Oh, it's grace alone. You don't have to do anything. Well, 
they're going to be fooled one day, and the gods going to say, well, you did live to a principle. You didn't do anything, and I've considered this. Okay? So there is not no once saved, always saved. Uh-huh. We have the helmet and the hope of salvation by those who stay in Christ. Jesus said you endure to the end, not get saved one time saved. And then in the book of Revelation, he tells every church, and he's talking to the Christian too. He said, he that overcomes. He didn't say you've already overcome. Now, John said we overcome as we walk in Christ, but he didn't talk about it was for the future and forever. Jesus said, you overcome end of your life, and I'll give you this. So if you don't overcome, you don't get any of this. You'll get the wrath of God is what you will get. Okay. So there is false grace, there's false faith, there's false hope, and most professing Christians believe in it. Out of 2 billion of 8 billion people in the world, say a fourth, they believe they're Christians to some degree. And I doubt whether 98% of them are. We're talking about adults. We're not even including kids. Uh They think they are. Oh, they go to church and their denominations and all that. Mean nothing to God. Form of godliness, but deny the power. And what did the Lord say? He despises. It's an abhorrence. The sacrifice and the good deeds of the wicked. He didn't care for their worship. He said he hate. In Ezekiel, they came together and played beautiful music on beautiful instruments, and everybody loved it. And God said, I hate and I despise your music. I despise your singing. Why? Because your heart's not right. He said, they honor me with their lips, but their heart's far from me. So that's the masses. They're going to say of Christianity, so-called, Lord, Lord, and he's going to say, I never knew you. Depart from me into everlasting punishment. But they sure thought they were okay, didn't they? Well, they're going to find out they were wrong. Okay, we go to verse 9. For God has not destined us for wrath, implying there are those who are destined, not predestinated before the foundation of the world. The scripture doesn't teach that. It means God has a destiny for the righteous. And he has a destiny or plan for the wicked. So once the fallen angels fell, his ultimate plan is he made hell for them, the lake of fire. And they're not in it yet. They're tormented by all of God's goodness removed from them. They're restless and disturbed in their darkness. They're unrepentant and cannot repent. They're fixed in their wickedness. Uh But that's not their end yet, okay? God keeps them around to test the saints. See if people can overcome, okay? But they're destined for the lake of fire. And fallen humanity is going to be sent there. But it was originally made for the fallen angels. It wasn't made for man. But if man is going to side with the devil and be selfish and live his own life, that's his aboding place. God's preplanned that, okay? So that's what he means. But we, the Christian, we are destined for what? For obtaining salvation. He's talking about final salvation, not being born again in a moment. He's talking about the afterlife, our inheritance. And it's true, 
the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? So we have a great hope in Christ's return for us. We don't dread his coming. Uh-huh. The wicked do. And those who claim to be Christians that live wicked, carnal, lukewarm, worldly lives, they sort of don't want the Lord to come. But if they're in false theology, if they're once saved, always saved, and alter Calvinism, oh, they think they can be committing fornication, and when the Lord raptures them, they'll go with them. So that's how deceived and wicked they are, okay? We, again, he's talking to the Thessalonian Christians, are of the light. We're of the truth. We get final everlasting, eternal life in Christ. That's what we're destined for. Those in the dark, the world of sinners and wicked, have their destiny. All the wicked will be turned into hell and ultimately the lake of fire. Hell and death will be cast into the lake of fire. The Bible says this is the second death. Everybody, unless they're raptured, is going to have one death. The spirit souls can be separated from the body. And that's a physical, worldly death. But he said, those who are in the Lord will not be touched by the second death. That's for the wicked. They will have a spiritual. The Christian will be resurrected to immortality and to a glorious body like unto the Lord, spiritual. And whatever other form he wants it. And the wicked shall be resurrected with a body fit for damnation. It will give off smoke. They will be tormented. And it said their smoke of their torment shall ascend before the Lamb and his angels forever. Isn't that interesting? So whatever kind of body they got, it has been resurrected and fit for punishment. That's all it was to be used for. Isn't that something? Okay? So their destiny is to face a God of holiness and his wrath and judgment will come forth. Well, that's what's predicted or predestined, not individual destiny or determination. That's the devil's theology, that God has preordained certain people to heaven or hell before they were born. That makes God a monster. That would make the devil shame in him. See, that's how stupid and foolish, and they've been given over to lying evil spirits. And the devils like it because it slanders God. And you can imagine what's going to happen when they come to judgment, okay? So it's not pre-done. God said in the old and the new. And was he lying? It's impossible for God to lie. It's not my will that any perish. That means everybody. But that everyone repent and come to the knowledge of the truth. And that Jesus, Paul said, died for all mankind, especially for those who believe. Well, most of them don't believe, but he died for them. So he's never predestined anybody before they were born to go to heaven or hell. That's not in his thinking. That's the devil's work there, okay, to slander God. So if the angels were made for the lake of fire and the lake of fire for them, then the wicked mankind will share it with them. So this is the wrath of God, total indignation, total contempt, graceless, loveless. People, I've heard ministers say, Christ is weeping for the people in hell. They're liars. 
they will face the Lamb of God in judgment. He is the judge. He is the Almighty. All judgments are committed to the Son. All. When it has to deal with man. Uh huh. And it said, the wrath of the Lamb. They want to hide the multitudes when he returns back as his king and judge. He's not coming to save them. He's coming to get his own and judge the wicked. He's not offering them mercy. He's not crying over them. said he has utter contempt and disregard. The time of grace is over. The time of benevolence is over. See, when it comes to an end, God has his solutions. And that's going to be a horrible solution for wicked people. Okay, So this is the wrath of God. Paul said indignation, wrath, anguish. Jesus implied contempt. This means total disregard. Outer darkness, Jesus said. That means as far away from any light as possible. God is the light there in darkness. He doesn't give him a second thought other than his wrath is justified and their torment goes up before the angels that didn't fall. They're seeing that the wicked angels, a man, get just what they deserve. They've come against God's holiness. He doesn't give them a second thought. See, that's the why we have the fear and trembling. People don't want to get in that state with God, okay? Total lovelessness and hopelessness. His holiness, he will become the consuming fire. There is no place that God is not. So the lake of fire must be God's wrath a part of him to exercise only wrath and that alone. And it upholds his holiness and justice. And the angels look at it and it reminds them of God's holiness. It's a memorial of God's punishment against evildoers. Okay? People don't like hearing that. As I've said, six times, plainly, Jesus taught there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth and everlasting punishment. He makes it very plain. Now, Paul and the disciples don't mention that. You know why? See, that was mentioned real strongly to the Jew because all the privileges they were given. But Paul and the apostles explained it's a place of horror, a place of judgment. and They don't want to repeat it. Don't need to be. Of the 39 or 40 parables, 25% of them have to do with hell and judgment and God's wrath on the wicked. Now, Jesus taught those. He should know what he's talking about. He made hell and the lake of fire. He was the creator. He was one with the Father. All things were created by him and for him. Okay? That should make it plain. He's God. Okay? But yet we are his children. He's talking about the ones that follow him. We are his servants. We're his brothers and sisters in the Lord. And our future will be blessed and joyful and made like the angels. They always behold God's presence, no matter where they're at. Can you imagine that? They know his presence and it never lessens. And whatever they do in heaven, they were made to honor God and to experience his love, and they will. 
So that's what's going to happen to the Christian that puts on immortality. As Jesus said, he'll be like the angels. And then he was clarified. He says, and the angels of these little ones that believe in me, he said, they always behold the face of the Father. See, Moses wanted to see his face on earth and God couldn't let him. He said, no man can see me and live. Jesus condescended and took on the human nature and made it more plain than anything on the old. And yet Philip said, show us the Father. And Jesus said, how long have I been with you? You don't know me. See, even they could not see him in his full person because they're human. They still have flaws and imperfections, and that cannot stand before God. They could not experience the presence. He said, and no man can see the Lord clearly and live. They're not fit for it. They have to put on immortality first. Then they'll be like the angels, and then they'll always behold. Whatever God intended them, they will be an eternal, the Bible says, fullness of pleasures at his right hand, said we will serve him and he will forever show his kindness and love toward his own. So that's what he's talking about. So that's something we cannot sort of imagine in the state that we're in. So heaven and hell are going to be extremes, let me tell you. Either way, they're going to be extremes, okay? So we will obtain salvation that's the destiny for us. That's the plan of God. He predestined the church to go on. That's why he said the gates of hell will not prevail. Oh, it takes two people to make the church, believe it or not. So when he comes back, there'll be a church. Uh-huh. And they'll serve. He says the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. Why? Because they overcome and they endure and they rely on the Spirit. There's no automatic, irresistible grace. These are lies from the devil. Okay? So we will obtain it through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 10, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. So he goes back to the same question that they wanted answers. If they're dead in Christ, whether it's just their body or their soul and spirit, body, sleeping, it doesn't matter. We're going together with him. Christ knows who's his. So all the people, whether they're asleep or not, he knows who's his. He ain't going to miss any, okay? And we're still in him. Like I said, most of us sleep a third of our life. Doesn't mean because we go to sleep, we don't have Christ anymore. People need to use a little common sense sometimes. Okay. So Jesus died for us, whether we're alive or whether we sleep in him, we shall one day live with him forever. And Paul is telling us not to worry about those who've died in Christ. And he'll clarify that too, because there was teachings going around, heresies saying there was no resurrection. Well, that's what the Sadducees, the priestly family, believed. Pharisees believed in a resurrection to hell and heaven. They believed in angels and demons. That's why the Sadducees, the priestly family, could be so greedy. They didn't believe they'd be called in any judgment. When they die, they die. So you can see why they didn't have to live the way 
there was supposed you can imagine the hell God has prepared for them. Mm -hmm. They were supposed to know better. They didn't. Okay. Well, let's cover this one verse real quickly. Verse 11, therefore encourage one another and build one another just as you're doing. You encourage them, what? If you're going to be with the Lord, those who died before you that are Christians, they will be with the Lord. And remind them that the Lord's coming. Lord, give us wisdom, understanding, give us present-day thinking that these events are as true as they've ever been, and they're getting closer. In Jesus' name, amen.